Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Hi, this is Ben Brinkerhoff, and before we start our next interview on the Christian and the Campus podcast, I wanted to introduce our topic. In this holiday break season, we are looking at different facets of life with which students interact with on a college campus. Today, we're looking at anxiety and depression. And before we jump in, I wanted to share a few stats with you from a 2018 study conducted by the American College Health Association. The study found that in the past year, over 50% of college students shared that they had felt things were hopeless. Over 60% of college students shared that they had felt very lonely. Over 85% of college students shared that they had felt overwhelmed by all they had to do. Over 60% of college students shared that they had felt overwhelming anxiety. And over 40% of college students shared that they had felt so depressed that it was difficult to function. In the same study, 12.1% of college students shared that they had seriously considered suicide. 1.7% of students shared that they had attempted suicide, and 7.8% of students shared that they had intentionally cut, burned, bruised, or otherwise injured themselves. If any of this is true for you, I hope that this podcast will serve as a launching board to begin to think through and take on the depression and or anxiety you're experiencing. If this is has not been something with which you have struggled, I encourage you to still give it a listen because someone you care about probably has or does struggle with anxiety or depression. Also, it might be something with which you struggle later on in life. I never had an anxiety attack until I was uh, out of my college years. With that said, I'll I'll stop rambling and and I'll turn it over to people who are uh, probably much more compelling than me to listen to. And so I hope you enjoy and and gain some wisdom from this interview. Hi, I'm Ben Brinkerhoff, and you're listening to the Christian and the Campus Podcast. I'm lucky today uh, to be here with Matt Mills and Austin Medlin, uh, two awesome people from the great state of Oklahoma. Austin, you're not, I guess, from Oklahoma, but you currently reside there. So, um, I'm going to let y'all introduce yourselves, though, because uh, you know yourselves better than I do, and uh, we'll get on with our conversation about anxiety and depression. Matt, age before beauty. So, Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I'm, my name's Matt. I uh, worked as a college minister for about 15 years. Now I'm a preaching minister at a small uh, rural church in Perkins, Oklahoma, um, I guess I come to this, um, to this topic, uh, through the lens of, uh, being around lots of college students and life and seeing the ups and downs of, uh, depression and anxiety. Um, I also come at it from a, uh, clinical perspective, um, working on my licensure right now for marriage and family therapy. And, um, uh, you know, my professors tell me, if you don't know how to deal with depression and anxiety, then you not, don't need to be in this, in this field. And so um, that kind of comes from a lot of book learning and studying that and reaching back to previous experience. Um, and so that's sort of what brings me here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, like Ben said, my name is Austin Medlin. I am originally from a tiny town called Paradise, Texas. I'm currently a senior at Oklahoma State University and majoring in psychology and math. And then I plan next year to go on to grad school for clinical psychology. Um, And yeah, kind of my background just a little bit. Um, And I think part of the reason why I'm here to kind of talk about this issue today is just, my growth and my experiences throughout college. Um, I kind of came into college trying to unpack some um, issues and events that kind of took place during my childhood that kind of led me down a path of severe depression and anxiety that I was fortunate enough to have been kind of walk alongside me throughout those um, and then come out on the other side. And I was able to see how God worked throughout my life and other people's lives around me. And now I just kind of want to share that today and um, kind of a college student perspective on it, um, since I am kind of in that right now. 
Um, yeah, and um, so I'm, I'm not thinking of any better people uh, to, to, to talk uh, with you uh, about, about this topic. Uh, and so as, as we begin to, to think about anxiety and we think about depression amongst the lives of college students, I think it's really important uh, that we kind of maybe get some definitions, uh, get some clear terms of what are the things, uh, both on a kind of more, um, you know, theoretical level and, and kind of picture level, but also kind of in the nitty gritty level. So um, now we'll probably start with you on this one. Um, what, just very simple, what is depression? What is anxiety? And how are they different? Well, there are bad things. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I sort of, uh, you know, I, I looked at some of the definitions in the DSM and then went with some of just my understanding of it. But I see depression as the presence of sad, empty uh, feelings, irritable mood, um, to the point that um, those pervasive thoughts begin to affect you physically. Um, and your ability to function. Um, I think we'll point out throughout this that it's often associated, depression is often associated with adverse experiences. Um, trauma is a big uh, key word. I don't like to throw that word out just all the time because me, sometimes we overuse that word, but it's definitely an adverse experience where there was a fear of separation, there is severe bodily harm, imminent danger, um, and the meaning that we create from those um, experiences, even like an accident. Um, anxiety, though, um, I define it as it's excessive fear. It's a fear-driven thing um, and an emotional response to a real threat or a perceived threat. Often we see anxiety come in where we're worrying about worrying. And that's when um, it, it becomes all encompassing. Um, I think it's important to understand that these things are not necessarily bad. They can be extremely helpful and protective. Um, our bodies uh, keep the score. And, you know, if I lay in bed all day, I'm, nothing bad's gonna happen to me today. I can guarantee that. Um, or anxiety helps us prepare for the future, helps us plan and you know, predict um, what's gonna happen next. But they can also be maladaptive in that you know, if I lay in bed every day, you know, week, I'm gonna lose my job, lose my friends, lose my, my grades in school. Um, and the same thing with anxiety. I can exhaust myself um, in, this, in this anxious state. Um, to, to me, where they're different is that anxiety is driven by fear and sort of a false sense of control. Someone that's anxious still lives under that idea of that they can control something. And depression, to me, is a little, is a little bit past that in that they also have a false idea that they can uh, that they cannot do anything to change their situation, and so and that's often driven more by identity. Um, and so they're bo they're both sort of fear driven. One fears that one is trying to control. One is realizing I've tried to control and I can't. I'm just giving given up. Um, and of course, trauma can complicate all that, but. Austin, what, what would you say from your experience? How do you define and see these concepts? Yeah, I would echo just a lot of what you said, at least um, for my personal experiences. I know at least through some of my psych classes um, that a lot of different um, psycho psychological disorders that people come into contact with can have enough variation that you could have two people with the same um, disorder and they could present different symptoms. but um, through my experiences, I've noticed that like anxiety and depression often share a lot of symptoms, regardless of who it is that, like you said, that not wanting to get out of bed, that kind of empty feeling, um, feeling weighed down by just everything around you. Um, I definitely resonate with a lot of those, especially throughout um, my journey. Um, I definitely and Ben could attest to this, I'm a perfectionist. I care a lot about my grades. I care a lot about everything around me, everything that I do. 
So whenever I was going through this and struggling with um, depression and anxiety, and I'd rather lay in bed all day and look at a wall than go to my classes and be a functioning human, that wasn't normal for me. Um, and that was kind of one of the first signs that this is something that I need to kind of reach out and talk to someone else about because I can't handle this. Um, and it's coming at the cost of my college experience, my friendships, my grades, and things like that. Yeah, lots of us uh, experience feeling down um, and lots of us experience anxiety. Uh, when it becomes, begins to impair your daily functioning, that's when you, we need to take a look at it, you know, turn our attention toward it. Yeah, and, and Matt, you're kind of ju jumping to uh, appropriately so next in some ways. And that is like, so as we talk about this, right, like, well, you know, like everyone has a day where they feel down, right? Or everyone has a, you know, a period of time where, man, you know, they have something big coming up and they're, they're really anxious in a sense about it, right? They're, they're you know, they're, they're preparing a lot for it, really focused on the future because it's this big thing. So I guess like, what are the different varying, we've kind of talked about the distinction between depression and anxiety to try to define them, but kind of further defining these terms, what are the different variations, degree, levels of degrees of issues? Yeah, um, man, I, I actually did my homework on this, but it, it may not be helpful, sort of, uh, you know, all of the details. So I'm, what I did was I picked out the thing that I think most would resonate with a college student on this. Um, starting with anxiety, they're just, they're all forms of it. Um, even from that early anxiety of separating from a caregiver. That's a really important one. Um, that's separation anxiety. There's social anxiety. Um, I think college students struggle with social anxiety. Um, we see it a lot in athletes with performance anxiety, fear of not being good enough, fear of not being accepted, uh, not being wanted. Um, we see anxiety when it manifests fully is uh, like panic attacks where um, the body goes into, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, it's bordering on sort of a trauma response. I'm not safe. And here's some adrenaline to help me. <laughs> and uh, I'm just sitting in my dorm. I didn't need that. I don't need to climb on the walls and eat paint. Um, and so there's sort of those, those panic attacks that you feel that physical symptom, tightness of chest. Um, I have seen this, this was in my college experience. I live next door to someone who uh, was agoraphobic. Uh, if you've seen What About Bob the movie, um, avoiding public transportation, open spaces, closed spaces. And think about agoraphobia in terms of once uh, coronavirus ends, I think we're gonna see spikes in just going back out into society. Um, all, all types of new anxiety I think will develop from trying to get back to quote unquote normal life. But the one that's really for college students is the acronym is GAD, General, Generalized Anxiety Disorder. I see Austin nodding, nodding your head there. Tell, tell us about your experience. I mean, why the head nod there? Yeah, that was actually um, kind of what the doctors kind of told me I needed to look at and kind of watch out for and the symptoms that come along with it. Um, but also kind of what I was told and what I was taught was within that generalized anxiety disorder, a lot of the time, um, the symptoms and the um, those start to like show themselves in 18 to 25 year olds, which is literally college students. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely a key one that um, a lot of people struggle with and um, a lot of people need to be aware of as they go into college and go throughout college. So yeah, I've, I've been told when I studied this for my exams and stuff, it's, it's GAD. But our, our professor said, just put an R in there, grad, grad school anxiety. If you're in grad school, you have this. <laughs> so the reason it's called generalized is it's, um, well, it's at least six months. Okay, so how long does any college degree last? Much longer than that. Um, but the, the worry areas are a wide range of worries. School, work, relationships, intramurals or whatever. 
alt family um, where you're feeling agitation, loss of energy, hard trouble focusing, irritability, muscle tension, hard time sleeping. And so that is the life. That is just normal life for a college student. Um, and so that's the one I think that we're looking at mostly with this prolonged stressful environment. And then moving over to depression, um, the symptoms that you really want to look for in depression is that negative mood, um, decreased satisfaction in things that were previously, you know, pleasurable, um, weight loss, sleeping too much, sleeping too little, uh, fatigue, feeling worthless, having a hard time focusing. And then of course, um, suicidal ideation is a big risk factor with that. And so for you to you know, qualify for a major depressive disorder, you need to have five of those um, nine symptoms for at least two weeks where they're consistent and they never let up. And so that's really what you could say is a, and that sounds like a short period of time, but you know, you have to have five of those nine um, symptoms. And then it, in depression, if you sort of, uh, if that lasts for two years or longer, um, and it's accompanying, accompanied with a weight loss, uh, insomnia, hypersomnia, then you're looking at what you would hear dysthymia. You may have heard that thrown around, but that's just that that long-term mild depression. So is that, is that what you were wanting, Ben? Yeah, uh, that, that's really helpful. Austin, uh, would you mind just kind of following up with some, some maybe, I feel like Matt really created like a, a large skeleton for us of, of what, what is, you know, kind of the, this practical level, what does this look like? And, and you know, as, as a student listening to this, I hope, you know, this may be triggering with some of them. Um, but if you could maybe unpack for us what did it feel like, right? So if you could put some meat on the bones, I guess like, what did it feel like and how, how did this affect your ability to live life as a college student as, as much as you're comfortable? Yeah, um, at least in my case, it kind of started off slow. It started off where I didn't even think it was what it was. I started off, I was like, oh, I'm just kind of tired. Um, it started off small and then slowly got worse and worse. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of kind of the timeline. It was, um, as I kind of continued into my college career, it kind of started um, during my freshman year um, and it led to um, just not wanting to go to classes, not wanting to get up in the morning. Um, but at that point, I was able to finally like, okay, no, I need to get up, I need to do this. Um, and I was able to still function. Um, and then as I progressed through my, my freshman year into the summer, and into my sophomore year, it got to where, no, I, I don't want to get out of bed and I won't get out of bed. Um, or um, maybe I will get out of bed, but I won't talk to anyone. I will just go do the bare minimum of what I have to do and then I'll go back to bed um, just so I can function. That way I don't, because then as, at least for me being a perfectionist, um, getting behind and not doing these things then gave me more anxiety and more stress because I wasn't doing them on top of the fact that I'm not going to do anything in the future. Um, and the biggest thing for me was feeling empty. Um, I just felt hollow and I, I don't, I don't really know of a better way to describe it. Um, Matt might be able to be prepared and have been taught a better way of describing that, but I just didn't feel like myself. I felt like I was just an empty person going throughout my life without anything. Um, and that was the hardest part for me was um, not feeling like myself and feeling like the joy and everything that I would always have was taken from me and um, trying to react to that and trying to figure out how to fix that um, was probably the hardest part. So. Yeah, I think, um you described it so well. I mean, there's no clinical words that can, um, that can top that. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, seeing this as a, you know, trauma, it complicates everything. And, you know, as I, you know, reflected on all these questions, I was thinking more and more about trauma's role in this, um, you know, childhood trauma, at least in our state of Oklahoma, we're one of the highest 
in the nation and with um with schools being uh closed and parents still working uh you know we're looking at a crisis 10 years 20 years down with lots of adverse childhood experiences of neglect and of abuse um one of the things that um has helped me understand it is and i'll do a really poor job of reflecting on this um this study but it was done with dogs and there's been some classical conditioning things done with dogs but one of the ones that was a trauma study um the dog would get shocked each time it would go for the food you know and dogs that had been shocked over and over eventually they could put the food bowl right next to the dog not shock the dog and the dog could not even move two to three inches to get what it needed and to me that is that that hopelessness that helplessness that i cannot shake this there's nothing i can do to feel better and it's not true but it feels so heavy and um so hollow and i think a lot of times um you know for for this we're still stuck in our trauma response our brain is still giving us um helpful adrenaline or cortisol or even dope dopamine or even something to relax us because we're not safe or we or there's a potential that we couldn't be safe and we have to shut that off somehow we have to shut that that drip off um and 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 remind ourselves that nothing bad's going to happen today and if it does we'll deal with it when it does you know yeah um and just kind of bouncing off of what you said about that learned helplessness um i definitely resonate with that like i kept trying and trying and trying to try and like fix this i like i i needed to fix this i am an adult i can do this it's within my willpower at all times which as christians we've all learned that nothing is ever in our willpower it's always god and his work it is um healing us and working through us but in the midst of it i couldn't see that and so I got to that point of learned helplessness and then that kind of entered into that emptiness. And then as humans, we don't want to feel empty all the time. So I'm looking for ways I'm looking for, how can I relieve this? How can I do this? Um, and kind of to preface this, at least in my experience, anxiety and depression didn't happen at the same time. Depression came on first and then anxiety came on later. Um, and I'm not saying that'll happen for every single person, but that is, that was my experience. Um, and anxiety came on because I was trying to find ways to cope with my depression. And I started turning to um, negative um, coping mechanisms that were harming me, that were taking me down even worse paths. And then this anxiety crept in where I was feeling shame. I was feeling guilty. I felt like everyone, um, was kind of like focusing on my struggles whenever no one was, but it was these unrealistic things that kind of led me down this path of depression and anxiety. Um, and they kind of coupled together through this like learned helplessness and trying to get out of that. Wow, that's well put. There's such a, you know, there's such a mix of those working together. Um, we could talk about other disorders, but we won't today. I think um, what's interesting to see is, you know, when we start to treat it with uh, medication, a lot of this, a lot of the drugs are targeting depression and anxiety at the same time. And that's sometimes when we have see trouble uh, getting their medication right is often it's just the same drug trying to, which one is more anxiety or depression? You, you, you put it really, really well. Um, just um, as we kind of, keep thinking about this, I feel like um, you'll, you've done just an amazing job, at least for me, right, defining the what, right? Like, what are these things and what does it look like and, and, and how does it manifest itself in, in kind of the life of a, of a student? And um, I guess um, kind of moving forward then, like what, why are these things, anxiety and depression, uh, so prevalent among college students, right? Uh, we've kind of defined the what, but, but, but why, like, why is it? And, and, and how do, I guess in, in some, some sense, like how do students come to get there, right? Where depression takes over or anxiety takes over. Like, what does that path look like? Yeah, I would say, um, 
and some of this is similar to addiction, but um, first of all, everyone that goes into college is a lot of times experiencing a big life change or transition. Any big life change or transition, there's gonna be some having to cope and having to figure out um, that anxiousness from everything being new. Um, and, you know, college students are dealing with um, idealism and the feeling of always being on stage. And, you know, this is not a knock because I'm this way too, is this egocentric, uh, being egocentric, thinking everything revolves around you. Um, that, that sort of comes into play um, when we're in that collegiate environment, we're comparing ourselves, seeing where we fit, leaving our high school achievements behind. And now we're, uh, this, is, this is complicated by um, instant social media comparisons, comparing highlights to everyday life, um, a decreased need and um, experience with face-to-face -face communication, you know? Um, that is a feeder for anxiety, especially, um, you know, isolation itself is a feeder for anxiety and depression. Uh, fear of being left out in that collegiate environment, I always tell students, there is someone always drinking and having fun right now without you. There's always someone playing basketball without you. There's always someone going on a date without you. You're not missing out. Um, you know, that that's a big, uh, big thing. And then sort of the weight of having to um, make a decision about the trajectory of your life and sometimes feeling like I got to do this by Friday. How many times have I heard that? I got to meet with my advisor Friday. So therefore must figure out life in 24 hours. Um, and then there's this testing of the limits, um, you know, trying to, having that unhealthy balance and trying to do it all and just figuring out having to cut things out. Um, and so I don't know if you can relate to that, Austin, but why do you think it's such a big deal for college students? Yeah, I know y'all um, like on the podcast can't see me, but whenever y'all were talking, I literally held up my phone because I feel like that, even though it is in some ways some of the best inventions we've had because we can communicate and we can see friends and family that we haven't, we can't see face to face. It's also one of the worst things that ever happened um, to society, especially to like my generation, because we have the invention of social media where we always see the best in everyone else. And when we don't live up to that every single second of every single day, we think we're failing as people, which isn't true, but that's where we go. That's where we think because we always have to be perfect. And when we're not, we feel these feelings of an inadequacy or shame or guilt, or then we go down those paths of depression and anxiety because we aren't perfect and we aren't good enough. When the, those are not realistic things to be feeling in those moments, but that's what happens when we see our friends and see our family going out and having a great time when we're only seeing part of the picture. Um, and even though social media can be great ways of communicating with other people, it leads to things like that. Um, and I know the transition for, from high school to college was hard for me because I had to go from being one of the most involved people in my class in a small school, so I was involved in everything, um, to being a number to, to some extent, going from a class of 92 to a class of thousands on a campus that has over 25,000. Like, that's a huge transition. And I know not everyone has as big of a transition as I did, but for a lot of people, that's kind of the story and kind of figuring out how do you maneuver through this transition? How do you find your people? How do you get involved in these groups and find your way through these next four years? Um, it's hard. And then on top of it, seeing other people and seeing their, what they're doing leads to questioning like, oh, did I make the right choice? Did I go to the right school? Am I in the right major? Like there's always these questions, these what ifs that creep into my head of, did I make the right choice? Um, mm. That leads to anxiety and stress. Um, yeah. Don't mess up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, that, that made me think of, um, you know, let's, if we took, if, if we took stress for a, for a second, the college life 
is, I mean, how, how, can, how much could you relate to this? It's either that nothing is happening or that everything is happening. <laughs> and so it's either, it's either boom or bust and there's no balance. Those are sort of the three B's I was thinking of. And we see it a lot with um, going on Christmas break, okay? Um, when there's no stress at all, have you noticed we feel more tired? We can't get anything done. We, we, we feel completely worthless. Our productivity goes way down. When it's boom, when everything is on us and pressing in on us, um, and it's, it's boom, um, our productivity goes way, way down because we, we can't get it all done. But you know, the most productive we can ever be is what's called eustress. It's good stress. I have a reason to get out of bed. I have a little morning meeting. I have one assignment. This is the balanced life, I think, that we're intended to live as Christians. And it's that healthy amount of stress that gets us going, but doesn't make us feel hopeless. And, but for, for many college students, not by any fault of their own, you have to be really intentional to carve out balance because it's either, it's either boom or bust. And no wonder we can't get anything done. <laughs> Yeah, and what's what's even, I mean, it's not funny, but in a way it kind of is, is you're either stressing about an upcoming boom, like an upcoming test week or something like that. You're in the midst of it, so you're stressing about all of it. You're in kind of the week after where you're stressing about, oh, did I make the grade? Oh, did I do what I was supposed to do? Or you're in that phase of there's nothing going on, and then you stress about there's nothing going on because you think you should be doing something. And so there's just this always this imbalance of, stressing about a lot of stuff or stressing about nothing. And then, like you said, going into other times, it just leads to a lack of productivity, which can often induce more stress. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it's, it's no stress. You stress is good. And then distress often it's distress or no stress. <laughs> Man. Um, but Matt, that, that's a really helpful kind of transition uh, talking about the balance life. And that, that was, everything else and that was just really really helpful uh, to me because um, I mean I, I live on that cycle too right as a campus minister I mean I, I go up and down with college students I have booms and you know DC I'm, I'm entering into the time where you know I'm less productive over Christmas break um, so so that was really helpful to hear y'all talk about that but but thinking about right um, okay well how do we achieve that balanced life right so how um, you know a student who's who's listened to this so far um, and they're struggling with either, you know, I'm struggling with depression or anxiety, and they're like, yeah, for sure, or maybe like, I don't know, maybe I am, maybe I'm entering into that. Like, what is just like one step they could take, right? As they enter, and let's just be specific about the holiday break even. What's one step they could take this holiday break? What is one thing they could work on? What is one thing they could maybe think about that would help help them in this time? And we'll start there. We'll, we'll... What do you think, Austin? You wanna go first on that? I think one of the first things that kind of popped out to me whenever you especially said like this holiday break, um, I know, at least for Oklahoma State, it's going to be a long break. They took our spring break and added it to the first week of January. So we already have an extended break. And I know some students because we went online after Thanksgiving are already home. So they have an even longer break. And one of the biggest things I would say is try to stay connected as much as you can to your friends that you've created. Um, because you're all going through at least a somewhat similar situation. You're all going home for the most part, maybe for the first time if you're a freshman since you've moved out, um, or maybe you've done it several times and you're a senior, but it's still hard sometimes. And so I would really say, reach out to your friends, stay connected, um, because that'll be the most helpful thing in getting through it if there are hard times or celebrating the good times, um, because going home can be great and often is for a lot of people, um, but it isn't always. So either reach out to your friends or um, if, if you're in that good place, make sure you're reaching out to your friends so that way you can check on them and see if they're um, okay. Yeah, I, th I think um, that's, that's a perfect example of having little small things that might be new that don't demand a lot of your time and attention, but that just get you going. A reason, a reason, a, a, a different purpose, no matter how menial, no matter how small. Um, I think about, um, this idea of welcoming the welcoming the sad thoughts and look, you know, if you're 
if your life is a river going by, this is kind of psychology, but and you see that, that down thought coming, just welcome it and then just watch it, watch it float on by, notice it, welcome it, have a curious, compassionate view of it, identify what its function might be and just let it, it's going to pass. And that's the thing is it's, it's going to, it's going to subside. Um, I think with both anxiety and depression, learning to self-soothe is so critical. I mean, we see it with deep breathing. We see it in our spiritual practices. Um, what, what we're doing is we're basically, when we feel out of control and we feel helpless, the only thing we can control is our body. So we are going to use our body to get through to our brain to shut the lever off of adrenaline, okay? And if you sit still for long enough, and if you, you know, bring in oxygen and, and you, you deep breathe long enough, your brain will get the point, hey, knock it off. We're, we're good. And you'll slowly, you know, you have to, if you're dealing with anxiety, control what you can for long enough. God gave us a body and it will, it will get the signal through. Um, and if it doesn't, then you may look at uh, some medication to help uh, sort of promote that stability. Um, man, that, that was great. Um, I guess thinking about maybe a student who um, has been, been in a funk all semester long. Um, I mean, they, they are really feeling it. Um, and and would, as Matt was talking about earlier, probably hit uh, five out of those nine things for over two weeks. Um, how... And then they're just kind of coming to that realization as they kind of reflect on their semester, like, oh, wow, like this was, that was not good. Um, I don't want that again. Um, how do they begin to think about and talk about with others, whether it be a friend or a mentor or a counselor, um, that reality that they're grappling with and dealing with? What, what does it look like to think about and talk about deep depression or, or deep anxiety? Um, in healthy ways rather than uh, destructive ways. I would say um, the big thing is to realize that if you, if you, uh, the way we are as humans, if we refuse to accept an emotion, we're guaranteed to have it. You know, if we, if we push back against it, we're guaranteed to make it stick to us. Um, and so, I think when reaching out and talking to people, it's if you're willing to do the hard work of going deep down and uh, thinking about what is this negative thought that I'm running from? What is this fear that I'm truly running from? That I'll be all alone. Okay. At least we've named it now, you know, and we're no longer uh, fighting and helpless fight with anxiety or depression. We, we know that we um, are worried about being alone or worried about being abandoned or worried about not being good enough. And so to try to identify that negative cognition and replace it with something we know to be true, like our identity in Christ or our belief that God is in control, those are the anchors that help us. Um, common treatments you know, would be cognitive behavioral therapy which is you identify a negative cognition, replace it with a positive one, but you have to be able to identify what's, what is, um, for anxious people, I say, who is pushing the button on the treadmill, making it go faster? Why, why are you doing, you know, what's, what's uh, causing that, uh, the speed to go up, you know? And so, um, and Austin, you have experience sharing this with others. What, what was the most helpful or what were some things that have been hurtful uh, that would say, don't do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of ironic because one of the biggest things I would say now um, was the hardest to see in the midst of it. And that was that God is in control um, because I didn't want people to tell me that I didn't want 
in that moment, I didn't want people to say, God's got this, because I was like, no, he doesn't. At least it didn't feel like that to me in that moment. But now looking back, I was like, he had that. Um, so if you can, I would say, try to look at how God is working um, within the midst of the struggle. Um, but if you can't in that moment, um, that's human, that's common, like that's not a bad thing. Um, I would also say don't feel shame or guilt about it. Um, it happens to a lot of people. Um, I feel like almost every single person can point to a time, maybe they didn't have major depressive disorder, but they had a time or a season of depression um, or anxiety. And so it's something that a lot of people have experience with in their own way. So don't feel shameful that you're going through that and don't feel shame about reaching out to other people um, because reaching out is one of the best things you can do. Um, often it's hard, often um, you don't want to either because you're afraid of what other people will say or you wanna be able to handle it yourself there are all these different reasons why you might not want to, but taking that first step and getting someone on your side, um, where you see them on your side, they might've been on your side the whole time and you just didn't know it, but being able to talk to someone um, as like a first step is one of the best things you can do. Um, so I definitely recommend um, just releasing feelings of shame and guilt and talking to someone else to get the, um, get the ball rolling. Um, at least in my experience, I needed outside help. I needed time um, with um, counselors, with doctors, with other people um, to be able to get through it. Um, and now that I have gone through it and I'm on, I'm on the other side, I, at least in my situation, can look back and say, wow, I see what God was doing and I see what God has done. And even though it was one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever done, I personally wouldn't want God to take that away. Um, I, my faith is stronger than it ever would have been if I hadn't gone through that. Um, and I'm so grateful that God guided me through that. Even whenever I wasn't listening to him and I wasn't looking for him, he was already with me. Um, and so I would really, really just remind people that God is with you. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to see. And if they can't see it or you can't see it, that's okay. Um, God doesn't need you to see him every single second or every single day for him to still be there. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I would say. And again, it's hard and I'm not saying it's not, but, um, and my situation is definitely not everyone's situation, but um, just knowing that God's there and that there are people there on your side that you can talk to and you can walk through. That's, that's the big thing I would say. Um, man, that'll, that'll preach awesome. Uh, God doesn't need you to, to, to see him for him to be there. That was, that was, that's awesome. Um, and one thing that's going to kind of encourage someone who's listening to this is, uh, and one of the reasons why I wanted Austin to be part of this conversation is Austin, um, I think is a great model what it looks like to talk about this. Um, because, uh, I know there are times where he probably didn't, A, didn't want to reach out, B, uh, didn't know what it was going to look like to reach out, like didn't know exactly what to say, but just knowing I need to say something to somebody um, and just doing it, right? And, and Austin, I think, probably makes Austin's model is his willingness just to, to do, do that uh, over and over again as much as he needed to. Um, and, and one thing um, that like, and if – I can share some of this awesome, like, um, uh, he always felt like a burden is, is it, that was one thing that he did struggle with, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, and it was just never the case, right? Like, I mean, also would feel like that, but I mean, walking with all, walking, getting the chance. I and mean, I'm, I'm one of many people who, who, who I'm not taking any credit for, for Austin, um, and, and coming to the other side, because many people did, but like, Austin, it was such a joy in a weird way uh, to get to walk with Austin, right? Um, and so I guess uh, because we are running out of time, because um, we try to keep these things semi-short, um, uh, kind of flipping the page a little bit, um, what does it look like to healthily walk alongside someone uh, who is experiencing depression 
and or anxiety. Um, and, and I think I think that's a, a really big one. It's really prevalent, right? Well, that means your friend, you know, you probably have a friend who's experiencing this. So what would you like to do that um, well and not destructively? Uh, and then as we kind of wrap that question up, uh, Matt, um, I'll, I'll ask you to pray us out and pray over just the ministry and, and, and college students in general experiencing these things. Um, well, walking alongside someone is, uh, it's just that. I mean, they are, you know, you don't have necessarily a set destination, but you're just, you're there with them. Um, I think a good way to walk alongside them is you don't, don't spend a lot of time talking about the, the depression or the anxiety in terms of its ownership over you. Um, some people will say my depression, my anxiety. Okay. So it's yours or, or, um, I have this, um, the way we speak about it is so important. Um, no, I do anxiety this way, or I do depression this way. I am not depressed, but I do it. I do it when someone dies and it helps me grieve well, but I do it when I'm not supposed, you know, when I'm supposed to be celebrating, it's not helpful. Um, and so I think challenging the way that our language, just subtly changing the language to give that person a, a strong identity in Christ and externalize the problem, set the problem over here and have both of you look at it together. Some people find it helpful to, to name their depression or to name their anxiety, like um, Larry or Bob. Well, Larry showed up today and Larry always, Larry never uh, makes it impossible for me to have a bad day. So I have to do everything. I have to please everyone because Larry's, Larry's here today. Um, that, that sometimes helps us give us that vehicle, that language to, um, to understand the function. That's really the target is um, going after the function of this. Um, Obviously, this is on a safety uh, side out, but if there's a threat to themselves or to others, or you know, there's a there's something in the past that needs reporting. I mean, someone walking alongside you would 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 hurt you more if they didn't share that information, um, even just to keep prevent the cycle from happening to someone else. But um, a really good phrase for someone to say is, um, "Tell me more." Tell me more about, about depression. Um, and um, you don't have to look for a reason why, just, you know, just be there. And I tell every student and even, you know, faculty and staff at OSU that I talk to is get your five, get your five free sessions, just get them. Everybody has them, just get them. Just go through that experience. Um, because there are a lot of um, resources available. Yeah, I would say kind of on top of that, um, there's a there's a there's sometimes a line. There's a good line between encouraging and listening to that individual, encouraging them. Hey, let's let's maybe let's see if you want to talk to someone else. Kind of encouraging them to reach out versus pushing, um, and sometimes pushing can be harmful. Um, depending on where they're at and de depending on the kind of person they are. Um, so kind of be aware of that and just know the person you're talking to um, and just kind of what they want versus what they need. Um, and then how much does that differ between what might be harmful? Um, and then I would also say, as someone walking alongside an individual, um, going through these times of depression or going through these times of anxiety, um, you're not immune to feelings yourself. Um, and so just be aware of yourself as you're going through that um, and don't um, push off your feelings just because you think that they're not as big of a deal as the person you're talking to um, because you don't want to try and help someone and then be in a place where you can't even help yourself anymore. Um, so I would just say be aware of your feelings and your emotions and where you're at and don't, um, yeah, don't um, forget where, that you feel things too. Yeah, there's not a, uh, 
there's like, there's no clean way to, to help somebody. Um, but we often feel broken when Christ is supposed to live here. And so every bad feeling and experience is not allowed to happen or Christ is not really in here. So the meaning we, we make of it is really, uh, sort of skewed. Um, and it, I would say with all of this, keep a trauma, keep a trauma response in, in the back of your mind. Of course, with, with you, Austin, it was, it was the, it was the case. Um, but what I see a lot is right when it starts to feel better, trauma says, get the heck out. See you later. I'm done. Right when it starts to improve. And then, um, right when it starts to really hurt, trauma says, get the heck out. And so if you're walking alongside someone and right when they get better, they go. And right when it start, you feel like we're starting to get at the real issue, they leave. Trauma is talking. The body is, the body is uh, keeping the score. And it's not, it's, it's, it's a tendency to say, this person is just, oh, so frustrating. They just, they can't, you know, they, I, I don't understand it. Well, that's because trauma doesn't play by your rules, you know. So it, it can help you have compassion for somebody that has erratic, unexplainable behavior instead of judgment when you're supposed to have, you know, that compassion. So, mm. yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you. Thank you both uh, so much uh, for, for sharing. Uh, just your knowledge and, and your experiences. Um, yeah, I, I just can't thank you all enough. And, and Matt, I'll just invite you to pray over us and, and we'll, we'll be done. All righty. Father, uh, we thank you so much for this chance to, to speak about um, anxiety and depression. Um, Lord, you've given us emotions to protect us, to keep us alive. Um, you have created a, and, and knit us together and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, help us to understand uh, the best way to take care of our souls with uh, caring for our bodies and our spirits. And uh, thank you so much for uh, Ben and Austin and please be with them and guide them and draw them close to you. Bless their families and Lord, anyone today who is listening, um, who feels, uh, conviction or that they can relate. Uh, we pray today, Lord, that you would remove every barrier um, that has, or in every false narrative that says, um, I can't get better or, or, or I'm broken and, and that you would give, give people the motivation or, or move and put things in place for healing uh, to begin and in doing so for redemption to, to come through. Um, not just for them, but for the people that they will go on to help. Help us to be a visible manifestation of your redemption by the way we handle uh, difficult emotions and difficult situations that we face in life. Thank you for your son and the resurrection from the dead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.